This is Pastor Matt Harmless, and this is sermon number 37 from the Gospel according to Luke. In this uh, section, we'll be covering Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to, I believe, 17. Well, before we start, I would like to say a word of prayer for uh, what we're going to talk about today. And uh, then we're going to dig into this passage from Luke chapter 7. Heavenly Father, before I begin this morning, I want to take a moment and just ask God that you would guide and direct every word that proceeds out of my mouth this morning, that it would be good and useful. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to, as we look at your word, to adhere to it, to hear what it says and and understand what it means that we need to take with us through this week and into our lives. And Lord, I just ask that your spirit would be present. Lord, that this would not just simply be a person talking, but God, that your spirit would deliver the message to hearts, not just to ears this morning. I pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. I think uh, the praise and testimony time has got me thinking that this introduction I have is very fitting. I look out and I think, how many of you long to see the miraculous? I know some of you very directly would long to see the miraculous. And we hear the stories of Christ speaking a word and someone being healed. We go, man, I want to see that. That's what I would love to see. Not just for those obvious reasons, like some of us have those obvious reasons where we say, yeah, because I care about this person, and I want them better. But also because there's a certain amount of just evidence to seeing the miraculous. Is there not? I want you to think back to Jesus' day. Like us, it had been ages since anyone had experienced a, a multitude of miraculous events. A little rabbit trail for you. By the way, the miraculous in the Bible does not happen consistently all the time. In fact, it comes in clumps. And it usually comes in clumps associated with something being revealed. God revealing a little bit more about himself and his plan and what he has for his people. For them, it had been ages since the prophets. When a prophet would come for them, it would mean that God had visited his people. That's what they would say. God has visited his people. When a prophet would come to reveal truth, it would say he has not forgotten us. Two of the greatest prophets since Moses. So you have Moses. Two of the greatest prophets since Moses' time for those people in that day would have been Elijah and Elisha. Anybody heard of those names before? Elijah and Elisha? Elijah, in addition to times where he, in prayer, fire came down from heaven, there were also times where there were healings associated with him. One in particular that would stick out in the mind of the people of Jesus' day would be a boy of a widow who had died. And Elijah, the story goes in 1 Kings chapter 17, ended up stretching himself out on this boy three separate times, praying. And after the third time, this boy who had died came back to life. 
miraculous event. Elisha as well has a very similar story where Elisha, this mother came and, and basically what had happened, this young boy had been out in a field and the Bible tells us in Second uh, Kings chapter uh, 4 that this boy was out in a field with his dad and he's like, he, all of a sudden he just goes, oh my head, my head. And the father takes him back, the mom takes him up to this room, lays him down. He dies, but she doesn't tell anybody. And she rushes off to find Elisha. The story then goes that Elisha, very similar, in a very similar way, through prayer. And, and first he has his servant run ahead and lay the staff on the child, and then, but then he gets up there, a very similar thing. And you hear the story of this boy being brought back from the dead. And so like us, they would have longed for those days. It had been between 800 and 900 years since Elijah and Elisha, Elijah and Elisha had been in Israel. That's a long time, is it not? And the people of that day, in fact, one of the very last prophecies in, uh, that was given to the people of Israel was in the book of Malachi, and they were told that Elisha, or I'm sorry, Elijah would come. This prophet would come again. One of the rabbis in those days, just before Jesus' time, wrote, he said, the resurrection of the dead shall come through Elijah of blessed memory. This raising up of the dead, this resurrection, they were longing to understand what this resurrection was all about. And I know for a fact, I look around this room, I know for a fact that there are many of you, in fact, probably all of you, have tasted from a distance, death, maybe of someone very near. And this idea of resurrection is a wonderful, wonderful thing that you long to see. They believe that Elijah would come and this would start to happen. The resurrection is expected to happen at the end of history. For them, that's what they thought. And so Elijah being there is definitely associated with that time. In fact, they would set a place when they had their Passover, they would set a place for Elijah. Right? They would set a place for him at this empty spot with a cup of wine. And they were expecting and hoping, well, if Elijah comes, the Messiah will sh surely come right after. And like today, I think that many of us, you ever look around at the news and you go, it's, we're getting close. But one of the things that they wanted to see was a prophet come like Elijah. And so they longed for this. And the way that we get sparked by hope when we see things going on in the world they would have been sparked by hope for a prophet to come like Elijah. Now, keep, so keep this in mind. Okay, you got it in mind? This is how they were thinking. And there were certain things they would look for that would cue them in that something was happening. Now, before we jump in, let me review quickly what we've been going through, especially for those that haven't been here the whole time. We're going through the gospel according to Luke. Luke was a historian writing down these histories, and we're made it to Luke chapter 7. I think this is our 40th message from Luke so far. Uh, we're, we're plugging our way through it methodically. A few weeks ago, we spent actually several weeks on this sermon that Christ spoke. And to be honest with you, a lot of the things from that sermon you've probably heard before. And if you were here, one of the common things that was happening, so those that are visiting today, one of the common things that was happening we were reading these teachings of Jesus, and there was a lot of this going on. Ooh. The teachings of Jesus can be hard to follow. Can they not? 
after Jesus came down from teaching that sermon, one of the last things he said right before he finished that sermon was, why would you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? That makes no sense. We're to do what he taught. Luke then, as a good historian, I believe, is now delving into some stories that happened after that teaching. Because see, if I get up in here and I tell you, hey, love your enemies and and be kind to those that hate you, and I start telling you these types of commands of Christ, those are hard things to hear and to do. But if the person telling you those things is a certain level of individual, it can change your willingness to comply. He came down from the plain. He went into a city of Capernaum, and we talked about this a couple times. He, This centurion sent some messengers ahead of himself, and the, the short version is Christ, by a, a word, spoke and said, it's going to be done for you. And they figured out when we read a, Matthew's account of it that the same moment that Christ said, let it be done for you, was the same moment wherever this house was that he hadn't even made it to, that servant became well. Well, today, we're going to hear another story. And these stories are going to build. Okay, So I'm not going to get to the whole point. In fact, there's, this is a whole book. I'm not going to get to the whole point today, but there is one new aspect so we're going to build on top of it. So now, last week we learned Jesus has the power over disease. Okay? So if I say, what does Jesus have the power over? What would you say? Disease. disease. He's got the power of disease. So let's take a look at this next story. So I'm going to Luke chapter 7, verse 11. And uh, I think I'm going to have somebody to go back and get my clicker working. I would make it start by a word, but I am not Jesus. There we go. Let me see if I got control. I got control. There we go. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Soon afterward, and we don't know exactly how much time had passed, probably not the same day. Soon afterward, he came to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. So I'm going to tell you right now, as I go through the... In fact, most of what I do today is just going to be telling you about this story. This is an awesome story, what happens here. And I think it's one that you can really enter into and experience. So start picturing it in your mind. Some of you have good imaginations. Some of you have really terrible. You gotta, it, channel your inner child. And I want you to try to imagine what this was like. Put yourself in this setting. So Jesus is traveling through the countryside to this new town. This other thing had just happened. And at this point, his fame is going out. I mean, he, he did this and then people heard about it and they knew it. This wasn't the only time he's been doing these kinds of miraculous things left and right, and people are following him. So now you have a great crowd following Jesus. And so can you picture him walking through the, you know, have you seen pictures of the Middle East, right, walking through these countries and headed to this new town? Let me give you a map here. So you can see right up here is Capernaum. That's where he was at. Nain is down here, okay? So it's not a short trip, several miles, okay? They're walking along. Making it there, maybe took more than one day if they were, weren't rushing. And they go to a town called Nain. The modern day town of Nain is like this. Um, even today, it's got less than 200 people living there. It's a small town. Okay? Now, we live in a small town, but not that small. Covington's a small town, but it's not that small. Think about what it would be like to live in a town that small. Would there be anybody you didn't know? I mean, I, I, I work at Danville High School as a dean. There's, 
1,100 students. This, that school's bigger than this town. So you pictured him. He's going to come up to... Now, at, the, at that time, there was a gate. Small town, so it probably would have just been a decorative gate. Okay? But the gate of the town. It's the main entrance into the town. Main street. And Jesus is walking along, probably talking with people, people out coming up to the front. Hey, can I ask you a question? And he's walking along. Crowd behind him. Headed to this tiny little town. I imagine more than 200 people are following him. From other stories we have from this time, there, a huge crowd is following him. And he's going to draw near to the gate. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. The only son of his mother. And Feel the intensity of this situation building. And she was a widow. And, because it's a small town, I think, a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Picture this funeral procession. And they didn't have the internet, so they probably didn't know that Jesus was on his way into the town with a big crowd. So they're doing their funeral. Funeral procession. Unlike our hearse, followed by the cars, they would have been on foot. Mom would have been in front. The family would always go out in front of the, they would carry them on, a, and i got a picture of this in another couple slides, on a, a beer up here. So they would carry this person under a cloth out to where the tomb would be. And mom, because she's the only family left, would have been the only one out front. Can you imagine? I know in a very real way that there's probably more people than I know in this room that have lost a child. I can't speak to that. I can, I can dabble in that with my imagination, but when I get too close, I run away because that's a, that's a terrible, terrible thought. I wonder about this woman. I wonder if, wonder if her son, it says he's a man. He wasn't a little boy. I wonder if, I wonder if he resembled at all his dad. I wonder if there were mannerisms that she looked at and saw in him and thought, it's just like, and now, can you picture, can you, I mean, just think about what this moment was like for her. I wasn't going to mention this, but I, um, a lot of you heard about Colby just recently, Colby Epling, who was just graduated from high school and, and had died. And I can remember we, Josiah and I went to the, the funeral, heart-wrenching. But I remember at, something weird happened at the end of that when we were at the graveside. Usually, and I've done a few funerals as a pastor. Usually at the graveside, pastor says a few words and he says, that, you know, the, the funeral guy will come up and he'll say at this time, you know, this concludes this portion of our service and the family would like to invite you to this meal. And so he got up and did that. And something I've never seen happen before, nobody moved. I don't know if anybody else was here for that, but nobody moved. Nobody, nobody walked away. And you're sitting there looking at Sharon. And I, I just thought, you know, this is that moment. Like now, now it's, I mean, it was over, but now it's over. That's where this woman was at. Her son had died. Her husband was already dead. She's walking. 
almost to the, she set the gate of the city. That where, where the tombs would be would be just outside of the city. It was almost to the end. I think the heart of the tragedy is displayed by the fact that the considerable crowd is there. The mourners. They would many times have uh, paid mourners. I don't think that would have been a necessary thing for this situation. I think this town would have been there. And they're headed out. One of the commentaries I read quoted a commentary that dated way back. And it said, at this moment, what you're going to see is an interesting thing. It's the way of life is headed into the city and the way of death is on its way out. You can picture this meeting. This widow in her grief on the way to a tomb. And Christ, who we know is Lord of life, spoke all things into existence. Now in the body of a man, and he's walking on this earth, getting his feet dirty, interacting with human beings, and here he's walking into this town. I know he knew what was coming. But did anybody else? I don't think so. Listen very carefully to this Jesus. Remember, we're learning a little bit about who he is. See, all those things he told you to do, right? All those hard things he told you to do, I want you to know who he is. I'm introducing you to him. If you're not for sure what Jesus is like, listen deeply and carefully about this Jesus. Verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion. He was moved. There was compassion. And he said to her, in the middle of this procession, don't weep. Now, a couple little side comments before we dig into this. First of all, I would like to point out there's a little textual note that you'd miss. I would have missed it. Fortunately, we have great minds who have worked hard in these commentaries to point these things out. Right here, when the Lord saw her, in all the, in all the Gospels, when the writers are narrating what's happening, like, and Jesus did this, or Peter did this, or, and they're, they're writing their part of the narration, they always refer to Jesus as Jesus until after the resurrection. But in this case, this is Luke's first use, at Luke, historian Luke, this is the first use in the narrative. Now, there's been times where he's said, like we just read in the last, right? Why do you call me Lord? Jesus said that. But this is the first time Luke says of Jesus and the Lord saw. Earlier in Luke, Lord had been used to describe God in heaven. And now... Luke uses the same word to describe the Greek word is kurios, Lord. And the Lord saw her. There's three things that we start to learn about this Jesus that gives these hard, hard commands. And I think the first one we see right here, as he's making this procession in, he sees this funeral and he saw that woman. He saw her. Visual contact was made, but doesn't it imply a whole lot more than that? Doesn't it imply a whole lot more than that? He saw her. He looked 
This is also going to be unique because this next part, he had compassion on her. Most of the miracles you see of Christ, you see somebody coming to Jesus and saying, would you do this or would you do this? Has she said anything to him? She is in her grief. I imagine, I don't know, but I imagine, I don't even know if she even saw them coming. I don't know that. But my, my small experience of grief and, and talking to others who have experienced grief, I can imagine that on her way out, this huge all she could see was the glances over her shoulder of her one and only beloved son being carried out of town. And I imagine this moment, Christ sees her. And in his compassion, this Jesus who has compassion, I mean, he sees eternity. He could have said, what's the big deal? Life is like this. I created everything. But you know, he sees it. He's moved with compassion to this woman's situation. And then he says to her something that I would not recommend that any pastor ever say to anybody grieving at a funeral. Pastor or person, yes. Pastor or any, nobody, don't do this. Jesus has a reason why he does it. We ought not to. Jesus says, don't cry. How insensitive would that be if the story ended right here? But I think Jesus has something up his sleeve. And so the third thing he does, he sees, he has compassion, and then he responds. And this response, there's several little parts, to, several little steps to this response. The first one is this statement to her. <clears throat> by itself would be harsh. But the statement is not by itself. Watch what he does next. And he comes up to comes up and touched the beer. Now, this in Jewish law, <clears throat> number 16, that would cause someone to be ceremonially unclean. But as we've already seen with this Jesus and the leper that he healed earlier in our stories, this Jesus cannot be made unclean. His holiness reigns, and so he reaches out. He does something that he ought not to do. Touches the beer. I think maybe to stop the procession. I think they were still moving along. He has compassion. He says, don't weep. It's still coming. And I think he just, hold up. I think he stops this procession. And so he reaches out. He enters into the story physically and touches the beer. There's a, I found a, I'm sure this is probably from some TV show, but just to give a visual image of possibly what this could have looked like in Christ's coming. Hold. So he says something to her. He speaks to her, the one who's going through the grief. He enters into the situation and touches the situation. And then he does something else. He says now something that would make no sense for any human being on the planet to say. He says to the man who's dead, young man, I say to you, arise. Christ gives a command. Remember that teaching we were talking about where you're all wincing at the 
love your enemy. Remember that? This Jesus is one to be obeyed. We saw last week that disease obeys Jesus. Now, I know you guys know this story a little bit, or you can guess what's about ready to happen. But experience it like it's the first time you've ever heard this. Funeral procession. Imagine going through Danville and seeing the hearse. You know how a lot of times people will pull all the cars off to the side, and if you don't, shame on you. That's what you're supposed to do. Pull your cars off to the side. Can you imagine funeral procession going through town and somebody just pulls their car over in front of the hearse and gets out and the mom's sitting in the front and says, don't cry. And then looks into the back of the hearse and says, hey, get up. Young man, I say to you, arise. And he speaks. When someone dies, three minutes after that last heartbeat, brain cells begin to die from a lack of oxygen. It's not too long after that, within a few hours, that the cells themselves, it's called autolysis, and it's where the cells begin to emit an enzyme, and the cells of your body, especially in the internal organs, begin to eat themselves from the inside out. All the cells just begin to collapse. This is why it's impossible after a certain amount of time has passed, to resuscitate someone. It's especially impossible to do that even after minutes because there's been brain death. But then after too much time has passed, it's, you, you can't do anything. And the cells themselves on a, a microscopic level have fallen apart. So for Jesus to say this, He's not just commanding the boy to rise, although that's there, and don't forget it. He's also commanding something else, isn't he? He's commanding those cells to reconstitute themselves. He's commanding brain cells that had ceased to operate and started to fall apart to reassemble in a statement. That command to rise is not a simple command to follow for this boy apart from God's amazing work. You guys already know what's going to happen, don't you? I love the next sentence. If you're dead, you don't sit up. If you're sitting up, you're not dead. But this sentence says what? And the dead man sat up. Luke is using some... his, His... writing ability to emphasize the point like that and that's how they would have seen it i think he's fortunate the guys didn't drop him can you imagine i mean you're probably getting ready to say to this guy that came and interrupted the funeral you're probably about ready to punch this guy like how dare you interrupt this funeral don't you see what kind of pain she's in how can you you're touching it what are you doing you're talking to the Whoa! (laughs) And then he starts talking. What did he say? We don't know. Let's find him on Resurrection Day. (laughs) What did you say? (laughs) Maybe he just went, where am I at? (laughs) 
Maybe he sat him and goes, oh, man, I feel better. <laughs> I don't know. What was it? But it happened. He sat up, starts talking. Jesus is this part of the command of Christ. His response, his command, spoke creative life into this dead person. Didn't one of the songs we sang today said something about the dead? How'd it go? But the dead things come back to living, right? The dead things come back to life. This Jesus has the power. No. Elijah had to prostrate himself on the, the one who had died and pray, 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 three times pray before Elisha's laying his staff and he's praying, he's praying. Miraculous. It's been eight to nine hundred years since anything like this has happened. And Jesus does it in a way that's never happened. Sit up. That is the Jesus. One who has compassion and has the power to alleviate weeping. How would you respond? By the way, I don't want to miss something here. There's one last little piece of information that I want to speak directly to many of you right now that have lost someone. I'm going to use the word reunion. Jesus, what did he do after this? I imagine him help. Come on, let's lower the thing. Guys, I imagine he maybe had to talk to the guys first. Like, I imagine they're frozen. Okay, let's, lo let's lower him down. Gets him down. Gets him back. The mom is staying there and he goes, imagine him putting his hand on his back. Reunion. That final resurrection... Jesus will speak a word and the dead will rise. And Paul talks about a reunion that will occur in the clouds when we go to meet him and says they will also be there. We won't get there before them. They'll be there. They'll get there and they will get there and there's a reunion. There's hope in those last few words. Jesus gave him to his mother. How would you respond if you were there? What would you say? What would you do? Let me ask you this. If you had been part of the crowd that had made it from Capernaum and heard the teacher on the plane, would you start to go, I think I'm going to start doing what he says. This, some, this is big. And they knew. Nobody's done anything like this. Elijah did it. Elijah, I've heard these stories. I've learned my Jewish history, my history of Israel and the prophets. I know that they did it. This is beyond my wildest imagination. How would you respond? I imagine not too much different than these people. Fear. Think of this as not just afraid, but a holy reverence. Like I'm standing in front of someone I can't... There's no category for this guy. Like when I try to categorize people, where does this guy fit that can, can speak and the dead come to life? Where? 
would he go? How? To classify him. And they, they grasp at ideas. Hear what they say? I mean, the glorifying God, a, a prophet, it's a, the prophet, a great prophet, has risen among us. And God has visited his people. I mean, I can imagine they're thinking, this is like what we, all these things we heard, and now it's happening right in front of us. We see it with our own eyes. Holy reverence, a glorifying God, a prophet has arisen. These things tell us that they're getting close, but I'm going to tell you right now, they're not quite there. But more than a prophet is who Christ is. Elijah and Elisha did nothing of their own power. Christ is the creator of all things. This report then goes about him, spreads to the whole of Judea and all the surrounding countries. So this report goes out, as you can imagine it would. I imagine some might have said, that's a little town in Nain. They're, no, I don't know. But there's a huge crowd that had followed, a huge crowd that had been there, and this report goes out, and people are like, no, I saw it. That guy was dead. And then he was alive. I mean, he was dead. I mean, we knew he was dead. And then he was alive. Less than 100 years later, there's a Christian apologist. His name was Quadratus. Great name. As a math teacher, I just like that name. Quadratus. Should have named one of my kids Quadratus. <laughs> Quadratus was an apologist. An apologist is one who's writing an explanation. In fact, he wrote an apology to, not like, I'm sorry, that's not what it means, but he wrote an apology to the emperor Hadrian. It was less than 100 years later. He writes his apology to him, and an apology in this sense is a defense. Like, this is real. And Hadrian, emperor, you ought to believe this. Listen to what he wrote. He said, The persons who were healed and those who were raised from the dead by Jesus were not only seen when they were healed and raised, but were always present also afterwards. This isn't myth. This isn't story. There were witnesses. People saw it. We talked to them. Luke, we know as a historian, he talks about going to witnesses and gathering together and getting his evidence. This is history preserved for you. And not merely during the time that the Savior walked the earth, but, but after his departure also, they were still here, or they were still there for a considerable time, so that some of them lived even until our time. So this quadrat says, there were some of them, can you imagine, maybe a kid had lived in Nain, now an old man, saying, I was on the side of the road, I saw it with my own eyes. He was dead. And that Jesus, whose Lord spoke, and he sat up. And this, I can imagine these old people, you can't tell me, you know, I don't care what you, I saw it with my own eyes. What do we do with this? Number one, two things here. Number one, and the most important thing we do, we walk away from this with an understanding that this Jesus that's making these commands has power not only, well, let's see here. He has, what did we say at the beginning? Jesus has power over what? Disease. Disease. Right? Jesus has power over what? Disease. But now we also know he not only has power over disease, he has power over death. 
Jesus has power over disease. He has power over death. That's who this Jesus is. But wrapped right up in the middle of this, we also see something else. A Jesus who can be moved with compassion. This is not a discompassionate God that sits up on some throne and has no... No, he was there. He saw that widow. He was moved with compassion. She didn't say anything. He just said, don't cry. This one, I'm going to fix right now. I know that many of you go, that sounds great. Why didn't he do that for me? And I want to tell you, he will do this again. To all who are in Christ, who have died, he will do this again. And there are many mothers who are, who are in Christ, in their faith, that one day is going to be a Jesus who returns their sons to the mothers. That's going to happen. And God wants you to look ahead at this Jesus who says, I'm coming back. I'm going to do it. I know that we long for him to do it now, but I'm telling you what, this, this man, he's not still walking around somewhere. The next time Christ does this to the world, it will be a permanent, glorious transformation for all of eternity. And when he says, I'm going to wipe away all the tears, that is, that is what he's going to do. So number one, there is hope. No other teacher in all of human history has done anything even remotely like this. And so I'm going to tell you right now, there's not another person on this planet you ought to be listening to the way you listen to Jesus. But number two, following from that, consider your own response. Maybe you hear these things and you're like, oh, I mean, that's amazing. I wish I could see it. I know. But understand that these things have been, and I would say, in just as miraculous of a way, been saved for us. I mean, here we are, 2,000 years later, and this widow and her raised from the dead son, I get to read about and know the truth. That happened. Christ tells his disciples, he said, Blessed are you that have seen and believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. But it's that not seen and still believe is still, they've heard about See, they heard about it. So the disciples, you go and tell all the nations. And they go, and they're telling people, and they're writing things down, and they're telling other people, and then other people are writing these things down. And then they're going, they're going. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we've heard the truth. And I want to challenge you, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, however you decided to live your life, this Jesus is worthy to be believed, to be trusted in, and he is coming back. The king over death, the king over disease. He's coming back. Now today we're going to close. We actually have some music, so if you guys want to pop up, I'm going to pray. And I think we got some music. I want to encourage you, and I'm sure that you might be getting ready to say the same thing, but I want to encourage you. We have music at the end like this. I want to encourage you to respond. So here you are. It's fresh in your mind. And if you've been keeping Jesus arm's length away, but then you heard this today and you said, but man, I really want, I want that. I want the reunion. 
I want to be part of that resurrection. I want to, I want to experience that, and I want to have hope now in those things to come. If you're there and you're sitting there and you're saying, I'm, I'm telling you right now, one thing, repent. Change your mind on how you've handled this Jesus. Repent, turn to Him. You say, Lord, I'm going to put my, the rest of my life in Your hands. Lord, I'm going to put the rest of my life in Your hands. It could be a simple prayer. I know the thief on the cross, all he said was this. I mean, he was at the moment of death. He looks over to Jesus who had been mocking earlier. He looks over and all, all he said to him was, would you remember me when you go into your kingdom? And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Let that be you today.
our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. In Jesus alone, the freedom we from Hebrews now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever amen amen God be with you you are dismissed